Thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. one of the coolest people I know. She's a multifaceted entrepreneur who's both a rental property owner and a small business owner. This amazing woman worked through a male-dominated industry to become a leading tattoo artist and now owns her own shop, Stable Studios, in Bolton, Connecticut. And that's not all. She was frustrated with legislations and did not sit idly by, but instead became an activist to reform licensed legislations for her industry. And then she decided to run for state senator in Connecticut of District 4 to fight for what she believes in to create a better world for future generations. Please welcome Kelly Green. Welcome, Kelly. All right, Kelly. So who are you? Where did you grow up? Uh, did you have activities that you did? Do you have siblings? What did your parents do? Tell us all about you. Um, so I grew up in Farmington, Connecticut. Uh, it's like a little suburbia town. Uh, nothing super exciting. Um, I have a brother who's 18 months younger than me. Um, his name is Forrest Green, just in case anybody wanted to know about the colors. <laughs> um, he actually became a lawyer, so he's uh, a little bit more than I am, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. My parents, uh, my dad is a printer. My mom was a school bus driver, which led to a lot of friends knowing my family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it was just like a normal upbringing. I had two parents in the house, a brother, a dog, nothing out of the ordinary. That, that sounds, sounds amazing. amazing and really fun. I mean, your brother became a lawyer and you're a tattooed artist. What an amazing family. And your mom being a school bus driver, the patience she must have had, um, and a printer. That's awesome. You must've learned so much about life and art and all that kind of things. Well, it wasn't your exciting kind of printer. It was like, you know, let's print some newspapers, like thousands of them. <laughs> so I get to do like little side jobs when I was little, like stapling papers together and folding newspapers. And, um, but it was cool. It kind of like told me that you had to work for what you wanted to do, even if you hated your job, you know? Mm. So that work ethic you feel came from your family. Uh, yeah, definitely. Cause I definitely knew that if, if you wanted to make it anywhere, you had to, put your time in for sure. So I am the proud bearer of two magnificent Kelly Green tattoos and one octopus painting and our ocean rowing logo was designed by you. You have such an eye for like color and design and dimensions. I mean, you're a brilliant artist. So can you take us on your journey of how you decided to become an artist and choose it as a career? Uh, so funny story, I always thought I sucked at art. Um, <laughs> until I had a really cool bunch of art teachers. Um, so it started in like fifth grade. Um, I got put up on the wall with this like ridiculous tic-tac-toe, um, scrap book kind of idea artwork. Um, I didn't think it was that cool, but apparently they saw something in it. Um, so then it kind of made me start thinking like, oh, all right, maybe I'm not awful at it. So I kept doing it up until like, freshman year, sophomore year of high school. Um, 
I was only allowed to take band or art. So I was already playing the saxophone for a few years. So I felt like I should just keep it going. Um, but then I hated the band teacher. So I ended up um, going back to art. And my art teacher told me that I didn't belong in the introductory art class in sophomore year. So he bumped me up to an honors class, which was pretty cool. And like literally just walked me down the hall and was like, this is where you're supposed to be. I will fix it. <laughs> so that was kind of like eye awakening. And I was like, all right, maybe I should actually take this a little more seriously. So from that point on, um, I spent a lot more time doing art. I remember the story of Eric Wall. I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, but he's a public speaker and like graphic artist and uh, does a lot of like uh, the graffiti art and talks around it for organizations. But as in, in school, he was told he was a crappy artist and that he should never do this, even though he loved it. And then, long story, but he um, ended up not doing it, gave it up completely, then came back as an adult. So you were able to, even though you had that own self-image, like he had these mentors, you had these mentors around you to help you. Um, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think that's where I wanted to be an art teacher because I, you know, I always loved art. I love doing it. I just didn't think it was like anything that like mattered, you know, I was like, okay, I like to draw some pictures and I make a mess with paint. But um, my teachers apparently saw something that I didn't see. So I just, you know, I thought being an art teacher would be pretty neat to be able to give that back to some kids. Um, but lo and behold, that didn't work out very well because I don't like schooling. <laughs> um, I had like the worst experience of one semester um, and it just kind of like showed me like, hey, I don't think you're supposed to be doing this. So, you know, nothing's supposed to be easy, but it's not supposed to be ridiculous at the same time. So I just took the hint um, and I went back to, you know, good old Farmington, Connecticut, got my job back at the pizza place and tried to find an apprenticeship to tattoo. Um, cause when I was at school, I ended up meeting somebody who was very into tattooing and, um, we kind of hung out at some tattoo shops and, you know, I was like, oh, this would be pretty cool to do, but I have no idea how to get into it. So I went back home after that one semester and tried to figure it out. Take us a little bit on that journey of figuring out, um, how to become a tattoo artist and how, how you decided that you wanted to be a tattoo artist. Um, well, it started with a broken arm and <laughs> having a drawing teacher who was awful. Um, so it kind of <laughs> turned my, my whole like pedestal of art teachers to a different kind of level. Um, so the kid that my, my one only friend I made in that one semester um, was just kind of like, just looked at me as like, I don't think you're supposed to be here. I think you should just go back and try to get an apprenticeship. And I was like, well, that sounds like it would be easier said than done, which it was. <laughs> um, so I went home, got my job back, got an apartment, um, and just started kind of like looking around. Um, I ended up um, buying some awesome VHS tapes because that's how old I am. Um, and it was like your basic tutorial of how to tattoo, which now looking back was really awful of me to try to do, but you know, I was getting turned down by apprenticeship. So I ended up buying this like six step VHS tape, bought a bunch of grapefruits, bought this awful, like really cheaply made tattoo kit, um, and started tattooing grapefruits by learning what I learned on the VHS, uh, uh the VHS tapes. Um, 
I finally then got a really awful apprenticeship at an awful tattoo shop, but I knew that it was like a foot in the door. So I took it. Um, I then later on realized that it wasn't that great. Um, but it did teach me a lot of things, what not to do. Um, it taught me more than the VHS tapes would ever probably have taught me. Um, and then I started out my apprenticeship tattooing myself, tattooing my friends, um, tattooing their friends. Nobody sued me, knock on wood. <laughs> so everything was good. Um, but it was definitely uh, an interesting long process for sure. Lots of fruit. Nobody sued you. Is that um, commonplace, I guess, in, in the world of tattoo? No, but you're always, I don't know. I mean, even to this day, like you're always scared to screw up somebody's tattoo. So like in the very beginning, it's a very intimidating art form because there is no eraser. I mean, well, hmm. now nowadays there is, it's a laser beam, but um, there's no like easy fix. You can't just throw out the canvas and start over and you can't just like, you know, whitewash it and start over. It's, it's there. So um, that was a little bit, of a hurdle to get past. And then there's like the whole fact of, you know, the intimidating that you're actually putting people in pain. Um, but yeah, nobody's ever sued, thankfully, but it has happened to a couple people, like if they've misspelled lettering and it's just an awful client and I don't know. I mean, we have insurance policies for reasons, I guess, unfortunately these days. How did you get to the point where you could feel comfortable putting a permanent mark on somebody else. I'm still not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's intimidating every day. I mean, every tattoo is a different person, which comes a different personality in a different scenario, which is kind of what keeps you on your toes. Um, I think the one day that I don't really get nervous would be the day I should probably stop tattooing. Mm -hmm. You've helped other women artists find their direction. How have you done that? had. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, um, I've met a lot of really cool people by just tattooing. And then um, I started an organization for tattooers. And I think that's helped kind of push some people. I don't know, there wasn't very many tattooers that were ladies when I started, um, which was 18 years ago, which is old. I'm old. <laughs> I've been doing it for a while, but there's people that have been doing it longer than me. Um, but definitely within the last like 10 years, I would say there's definitely been a huge rising number of women tattooers, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, it's not, it's still a male dominated field, but it's less and less. So you've obviously had a key hand in that by helping out other women and building this network and uh, participating in it. So that's, that's pretty huge and powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. Cause I always tell people that um, I was really excited to work with a lot of guys being in the tattoo world. And I, I've always gotten along with dudes better than chicks. Um, but then getting into the tattoo world, I've realized that the chicks in the field are pretty much all the same because we are the chicks that get along with dudes better. So I've actually gotten along more with the women in the field than I have the men, which is a total twist on my whole um, relationships with anybody, which is kind of neat. So I definitely have way more women artist friends than I ever have. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, I find the same thing is that I usually have a really hard time getting along with women. And then I find like different women that are like you and I were a little bit more normal, like, well, normal is all relative, a little more laid back, 
and uh, take it as I go. And my whole life, I've gotten along with men easier until I find these random women. And now these women are awesome. And I have a lot more women friends than men friends. So it's interesting because like in organizations, um, the women tend to step on each other instead of help each other. And so when you find these awesome women like us, it's a, it's a really nice to be empowered and really make a difference. So it's, I love that you're doing that. Thanks. I love that you're doing this. You're always doing something cool. <laughs> we try. So Kelly, I'm a little curious about um, the, if, could you classify the type of people that typically come in to get a tattoo by uh, any kind of classification personality or I don't know. Like in general or just by me? Just, just in general. Um, I think everybody gets tattooed. I think um, each artist has a different um, like category of people that they tattoo. And it's a really weird magnetic field that we must create. I don't know. Like <laughs> we must put out some energy and then those people that fit into that little subcategory end up finding the right artist. Um, I used to make a joke cause I used to work with this guy who was very into like traditional tattoos and he had a very straightforward, like you could see his client walking from the parking lot out the front window and you'd be like, that guy's for Jose. <laughs> um, but it was just, it's interesting that like each artist has its own personality with its clients. So my clients would be completely different than, um, the girl that I work with Teresa's clients. Um, and they're both cool, like subcategories of people, but it's just interesting that I usually don't get her type of people and she doesn't usually get my type of people. It's, um, I don't really know how that works. What's your type of people? Um, lately it's been a lot of people that hate everything that's going on. <laughs> um, I have a lot of conspiracy theorists, um, which are very interesting to talk to. I love getting inside their brains. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's very different. Like Teresa has like the more like party kids, like, um, like more like, I don't care what you put on me, just put on whatever. And then my people are like, I want like you specifically, but I don't care what you do as long as it's this idea. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I don't know what Hannah's clientele is yet but <laughs> it'll probably be completely different than me and Teresa's which is kind of neat so it ends up you know as long as you have different artists they cater to different people which brings in like a little bit of everything um but yeah lawyers doctors you know your school teacher the janitor at the school like the parent at the school everybody's getting tattooed um so I don't think there's just like one one type of person anymore this is really interesting. So uh, before we delve into that a little bit more, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit about your transition from being an apprentice to um, running your own shop, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that. And what, how did that transformation t uh, take place for you, really? To Because I assume you got to learn a lot of business skills as well in, in making that transformation. Um, so... <laughs> I worked in pizza for about eight years. Um, and when I mean worked in pizza, I like, I worked in pizza. <laughs> so I started as like, you know, I'd answer the phones and I made the pizza. Then like, I'd keep going up and up on the ladder. So at 19, um, the owner of this small franchise in Connecticut called People's Choice, um, 
decided that a 19-year-old would make a really great general manager of his busiest <laughs> pizza place. I still don't understand why he thought that. I mean, I guess I do, but um, I don't know. He must have been crazy. <laughs> but I did it. You know, I brought him, like, the biggest sales he's ever had to date. Mm. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, as long as you make your team happy – you will succeed is what I've learned. Um, so I just kind of kept that with me the whole time. But I mean, I figured if I could run a super busy pizza place that has way more ins and outs and comings and goings than a tattoo shop, um, I could probably figure out how to do a tattoo shop. So funny story. I was probably like a year and a half or two years into tattooing out of my apprenticeship. And um, I had left the place that I was getting an apprenticeship because the guy was just, you know, for lack of better words, very dirty. <laughs> so I had to get out because it was just kind of skeeving me out. Hmm. Um, so I had built up my portfolio enough to where I um, was asked to join this guy who was opening up his own shop. Um, I thought at that point, any shop was better than the shop that I had learned at. And um, I was wrong because <laughs> I didn't know anything about the tattoo world yet. But this guy was, you know, freshly out of jail, had been tattooing, he said, I think 15 years or so. Um, the first two clients came in and there was um, a kanji, which is like a small little um, symbol. And then there was like a lower back, like sun and moon, like tramp stamp for lack of better <laughs> words. <laughs> so I told the guy, I was like, all right, like I'm still new. This isn't my shop. You take the big colorful tramp stamp and I'll take the little like, you know, 30 minutes worth of tattooing Chinese symbol. Um, he then took me to the back and said he needed to talk to me and said he didn't know how to do color <laughs> and that I should take the big one. And I was like, um... What did I just get myself into? So again, I threw myself into, I don't know, a shithole. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I'll just like end up teaching myself to do this, I guess, anyway. So um, I worked there for like a couple months to almost a year. And the guy who was the talent, I guess. So there was a talent guy and a money guy. So the talent guy stole from the money guy. Oh, so God. then he got kicked out. Um, but he had had an apprentice at the time. So she had already paid her $2,000. I was like, I can teach you what I don't, what I do know. And then we can learn whatever we need to learn together. Because at that point, like a year or so into tattooing, you still don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but so then the money guy decided he didn't want the tattoo shop anymore. So my friends all convinced me that I should take it. <laughs> So here I was at, um, what was I, like 20 maybe? I then owned my first tattoo shop. Um, I don't know. Uh, I had it working. It was working. But then I kind of like just had a self-reflection moment thinking I don't, um, I don't deserve to have a shop because I'm so new and there's so much stuff that I need to learn. Um, but it was kind of cool knowing that I could do it. Um, so I ended up closing it and I went and worked with a lot of artists up until I opened this one, um, about two years ago. Wait a minute. All right. So how, first of all, where did you, so you had to buy the guy out, I assume. So you had to get some money from somewhere. Did that come through savings or 
Um, so he pretty much just sold me the shop for, I don't remember. It was like a very small amount of money. I want to say like 2000 bucks or something. Um, it was just to cover the equipment that was inside the shop, which wasn't much. It was like an autoclave, some chairs, um, whatever decorations were in there. So I think it was maybe like $2,000, um, which was just, you know, savings. It was my oh shit fund. So my oh shit fund turned into, I guess, oh shit, I'm going to buy a tattoo shop. <laughs> so I figured, you know, what's to lose? You know, $2,000 isn't like that much money to try to, you know, experiment, I guess, in shop owning. But um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, no, that's not much at all. Was there no other overhead associated with that, like rent or anything like that? And did you, did you bring on employees? Um, so at that point, I don't, he didn't have any insurance. Insurance wasn't really a big thing to have um, for a tattoo shop. Um, tattoos were still kind of like under the radar thing. Um, the lease was only a year lease. Um, so I ended up finishing up the lease there and I actually tried to move it. I moved out to the Berlin Turnpike, which is like a busy drag street in Connecticut. Um, I think it would have been doing fine, but I just didn't have enough experience. Um, so when it became the end of my lease, I just kind of like quietly packed up my stuff. <laughs> um, but I still do have clients from like the very first shop that I worked in. So like they've followed me, you know, I think this is my 11th shop. So, um, I definitely have way more experience now than I did the first time. So when I was 20. For sure. 11 shops. That's amazing. Okay. Um, so you, you ran that shop for a while until the lease was up and you felt like you got a, a good amount of experience, but you just didn't have enough confidence at the time to, to keep it running. Um, I take it. So w uh, how many shops did you have to work at before you started to get enough confidence to do your own thing? Just out of, just out curious, of curiosity. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of honestly enjoyed not having to have the responsibility. <laughs> I think by just having so much responsibility, like since, I don't know, I started working, um, it was kind of nice to just let somebody else pay the bills and me just have fun and do the art thing and not have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that way I could focus more on the artwork instead of like paying the electric bill or firing a tattooer or whatever. Like it, it gave me a lot more energy to put into tattooing totally. versus anything totally. else around it. Um, so as far as being comfortable, I probably was comfortable owning a shop maybe like a couple of years after. Um, but I definitely just wanted to work with more and more artists and just kind of, you know, bump up my, I don't know, skills, I guess. Yeah, uh, that totally resonates with me. Like um, you hear it a lot how, you know, I, I work in software, so I totally enjoy just working on my craft of being a better and better software engineer. But, and in terms of running my own business, like I, I would face the same kind of situation. I just want to be a, a, you know, a craftsman and not so much worry about the business side of things. Side of things. It gets to a point where I felt like, I guess it was very nice being like the, the not as responsible tattooer and, and just kind of working at somebody else's shop. But then you work at, you know, what well, I had 10. <laughs> and it's just like, how many more shops am I going to work at and not feel like it's a hundred percent like comfortable? Like 
you could start off at a shop and then things get weird um, and then you end up moving. Um, hmm. So it's either you can outgrow a shop or like the owner just isn't doing a good job at keeping everybody happy or the owner is just not even around. And then you kind of start thinking like, okay, like I've been working for all these guys for however many times and however many shops, but like, you know, if I made my own, then I would make sure that it was a good environment and that everybody was chill and, you know, yeah, I'd probably have to take on more responsibility, but I think in the end run, I'm glad I did it because, um, I love this shop. Um, and I hope it's here for a long time. So, so, uh, what is, what is the current shop that you're in? And is this like the, the, the 12th iteration of, of working somewhere and now it's finally your own? Yeah, um, it was kind of cool because I did work at so many that I realized what worked and what didn't work um, when it came to either the business or the artist or, you know, how it's set up or um, I got to know all the ins and outs of the issues with tattoo shops. So um, I wanted to make this one a lot different, um, just like aesthetically, too, because I feel like a lot of tattoo shops are very cookie cutter. You have like the black and white squares on the floor um most of them still have the big room where everybody tattoos out of the same room um it just i don't know it all has that very like i don't want to say doctor's office feel but it's like a very like cut and dry like no personality um it's very cold feeling when you walk into a lot of tattoo shops so i wanted to create something that was more like homey like you come in here and you feel like you belong here um so I took an old barn and it was literally a horse barn, had like no electricity. It was eaten by squirrels, um, no plumbing, um, no insulation, no nothing. Um, and we made it into what I think, I mean, I have a totally biased opinion, but <laughs> um, I think it's like super cozy and it makes people feel welcomed and like they don't feel like people are going to yell at them when they get in here. It's just a very like into the woods, chill I don't know, relaxing environment, which is what I think, you know, you should be in when you're getting tattooed. Is there a, uh, a, a special type of tattoo that you like to do like dragons or something? I know you don't like dragons, but something like that. It's actually really funny. <laughs> um, I hate dragons. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't say I hate dragons. I hate drawing dragons and I've never been happy with a tattoo of a dragon that I've done. So I'm just not going to do them anymore. <laughs> um, so I don't know, I, I guess like as far as style that I do like doing is like anything with texture. I love octopuses. <laughs> um, anything that has like some kind of like movement and flow um, that's like nature based, I guess, but not necessarily either. I don't know. Something that keeps me on my toes. I love cover-ups for some weird reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. So Cindy and I did our, um, our, or not our anniversary, our uh, honeymoon in Hawaii. And I really wanted to get a Hawaiian tattoo, but I couldn't find anybody to, who would actually do one on me. Um, do you do that kind of tattoo? Um, are you talking about like the one where they're like tapping it into you? Yeah, I wanted to do the traditional thing where they tap the ink into you and it, you know, it goes, you got like a sleeve and part of your chest and maybe part of your leg and stuff. I mean, 
anybody could do it, but no one's going to tap it around here. Um, there, um, there's a couple guys in like New York that are doing it, but not the Tatao. They're the, um, I don't, I can't think of the name because I'm like having a dumb moment, but they like, it's like on a shaft and there's needles on it and they're like jabbing you versus tapping you. Um, there's a couple guys in New York that do that, that you can see at like tattoo conventions if, you know, they're around anymore. I don't know. But, um, as far as like getting like an actual, um, like real tattoo as of like the one that you're looking for, like in Hawaii, it, that's like the best place to go is Hawaii. Um, <laughs> I don't know anybody in Hawaii. Um, but you know, if you really wanted it, I could totally start looking for you. I'm sure there's plenty of them, but sometimes you have to know someone that knows someone that knows someone to get you in there. So, um, I think they're trying to maybe just kind of keep it, um, like inclusive instead of like more of a touristy trap. Yeah. I, I think it was totally a local, a local thing. I was, you know, foreigner or whatever, outsider, um, Cindy. How did you find out about Kelly Green when you got all your tattoos from her? So, Kira, my friend Kira and I were at the DC Tattoo Convention a million years ago. And she and I were both looking for different tattoos. And she found, I think, one of Kelly's colleagues who uh, was a perfect fit for her. And then I was perusing Kelly's book, which had octopuses and nature and all the things that I love. And my friend Amy had drawn a sketch for me with uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. And so I brought it to Kelly and said, hey, you're the perfect artist for me. Can you do this? And she said, yes. And seven hours later, I had this beautiful Little Red Riding Hood and Big Bad Wolf tattoo. And, and what tattoo convention was this again? I missed that. Missed that. That was the DC tattoo convention. That happens usually every year in January, but I'm not so sure about January 2021. So Kelly, um, with COVID-19 and all that, all this stuff going on right now, how has that affected your ability to go to conventions and market your, your shop? Um, so funny story. Uh, it was like the weekend before, I guess it was like the first weekend that we had a case in Connecticut, there was a tattoo convention. Um, it was over at the casino in Connecticut. Um, and it was, it seems so surreal because that weekend was so great. And, you know, it was like, everything was normal. We were having a convention and everyone's hanging out and everyone's getting tattooed like right next to each other. And everyone's like, you know, drinking. And, uh, I don't know. I think it was like two weeks later, um, we were shut down. <laughs> So um, that's probably the last convention I feel like I'm ever going to get to do because things are just insane. Hmm. Um, I don't know what's happening with any of that, but I know like Connecticut's still not in phase three yet. So who knows? Um, but we're able to tattoo again for now. <laughs> so whatever, the election gets a little closer. I don't know. Um, but, you know, even just... Like it was my 18th year tattooing and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do something like awesome. It's literally half my life I've spent tattooing. Um, so I wanted to do something like epic, like throw a big like flash party or like, I don't know, something cool. And then instead of me doing that in May, I ended up fighting to get my job to be deemed essential again. <laughs> so it was a little crazy. 
What What do you mean your job to be deemed essential as a tattoo artist? You mean? Um, no, just like our governor just deemed us non-essential, so we were shut down for three months. So. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, so all tattoo tattoo shops were deemed non-essential. So okay. Um, so take us. So so I'm wondering if this started a little bit of your political journey, or was something else starting your political journey there? Um, I had already started my political journey at that point, so. <laughs> Um, I signed up for the state senator of District 4 to run in January. Um, they allow you, I think it was like the second week in January, um, the paperwork was out online. So I filled it out, got all my stuff together. Um, probably by like the end of January, February, I had all that paperwork in and I was on to the next step. But um, yeah, what made me run is I'm... Uh, I think I have a problem with being told what to do. <laughs> um, and especially when I realize that there is a huge disconnect from the person telling the other person on what to do and how to do it when there shouldn't be. Um, so uh, I started a, a tattoo organization called CAPT. It's Connecticut Association for Professional Tattooers about three years ago. Hmm. Um, they made us have a license. Um, we weren't being like represented at all. Um, we weren't part of the legislation that created the license. Um, so therefore there was like weird loop loopholes and things missing and it was actually hurting tattooers rather than helping. Um, so I figured if there was already legislation that was legit, it already went through, then I want to fix it so that it helps us. So I ended up getting, I think at this point, there's about a hundred tattooers involved. Um, and we've made like really good connections with the health department, um, a couple legislative figures, um, my house representative. Um, and then I got to my state Senator and trying to help us push through our new legislation to fix the problems and the loopholes. And my state Senator dropped the ball big time. Um, and that's the guy I'm actually running against because he literally made an appointment, blew me off last minute. Um, his secretary told me that he had called and left a message and wanted to talk to me. Um, he never did. He never called me. Uh, and then at that point, I could never reach anybody ever again. <laughs> so instead of me having a meeting to try to get help with it while it was in um, the Senate going through as a bill, um, it didn't get talked about. It was never brought up. So all of those months of working together with um, legislative liaisons, my house representative, like at that point, it was like 80 tattooers. Um, the health department was all lost because this guy just decided to be, you know, quote unquote, a douchebag. <laughs> hmm. um, and then he ended up putting his name on my bill. Um, saying that he sponsored it when he didn't do anything. Wow. So it started making me wonder how many of these seats are just rotting to people who don't care about mm. what they're doing. So um, I started hearing from a bunch of people that are in my area that they had something kind of similar happen that, you know, they can either just never reach him at all um, or they got blown off and he just wasn't doing anything. So I view him as a invisible representative for the people that live here. So um, I don't know, I don't like people telling me what to do. And if there's somebody that can help us to fix what's going wrong, I would hope that they would want to help us. But this guy doesn't want to apparently. So 
I don't want him to be there anymore. <laughs> so why not take his place, right? Right. That's that's good motivation. Um, how, what does it take to run for a state senator? What what do you have to do? Is it just fill out some forms and then you can you're good to go, or is there more to it than that? Um, so it depends on how you run. Um, so I don't know if it's the same. It's probably different in every state, but for here in Connecticut. Um, I'm not running as um, a major party. So I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. I am a what you call a third party. Um, so I had to do a little bit of extra paperwork because I decided to make my own party instead of like run for say the Green Party or something. Because um, I just don't want to be affiliated with anybody's bullshit for lack of better terms. Um, there's too much stuff going on and I just want somebody who's real to run. So, I mean, I hope that I fit that bill. Um, uh, so there's paperwork to do to run, then there's more paperwork to make your own party. And then once you put that through, you need like a, a bunch of signatures saying that you have like a team that's going to help you and people that would, you know, help you out. Um, once that gets okayed, they come back with you with a bunch of other forms. So for me to get on the ballot, I needed to have um at the beginning it was 429 signatures but then it dropped down to 301 thanks to covid <laughs> um i needed to get signatures of local constituents to like i guess quote unquote support me in running so they don't want to write your name on a ballot if they don't think anyone's going to vote for you so you right. have to do legwork so that was probably the most entertaining thing i've ever done is trying to knock on people's door uh during a pandemic <laughs> Um, I got a little bit of everything. So I got people who were bluntly home that didn't answer. I got people that <laughs> slammed the door in my face. I had people that were like, hell yeah, somebody real is running. I'm give me that clipboard. I'll sign it for you. <laughs> um, and then I just, I don't know. I ended up just trying to go where people were out instead of knocking on doors because hmm. you'd get like 10 signatures in about an hour of knocking on doors and walking probably like two or three miles. Oh my God. You know? oh my God. Um, so it was just like taking forever. Um, so we started like hitting up grocery stores. We got kicked out of a couple places, but, um, once we found one that allowed us to do it and didn't say anything, we just did that for a couple days and we were good. Um, so that one, you ended up getting like 20 to 30 in an hour versus, you know, 10, mm. if you're lucky. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of legwork. Um, it's a lot of just like trying to put yourself out there. Um, it's definitely a lot different than I thought it was going to be because I thought it would be a lot more fun <laughs> when I signed up for it in January, but it's, um, I've been seeing a lot more of like ugly and, um, like I just, I've noticed a lot more of the disconnect for sure when going out and knocking on people's doors. Um, so it kind of just makes me want to run more. What well, do you mean by disconnect? Um, I guess it's just, I, I mean, I see it with my clients. Like there's a lot of people like struggling with what's going on, like whether it's mentally or financially or, you know, medically. Um, when you're knocking on strangers' doors, it kind of gets shoved in your face a little bit more. Like there was a veteran that we knocked on who was trying to get a um, an appointment to get his hearing checked because he was scared he was going deaf. Um, couldn't get in touch with anybody to make an appointment. And he said he was like trying for like two weeks and he's just like getting like pushed over and pushed around. And um, so that's really sad that like our veterans aren't being taken care of. Um, 
and he was such a cute little old guy. So my <laughs> friend actually used to work at a VA. So we grabbed his number and hopefully somebody's calling in for him. Um, and then there's like another lady that had like three younger children, probably all under like six or seven. Um, and I just walked up to her. I was just, you know, doing my normal thing, knocking on doors. Um, and she was outside. And I was like, oh, cool. Like <laughs> find somebody outside there. You're going to sign it usually. So I was just like, hey, running for senator of District 4, like I need a certain amount of signatures to get myself on the ballot. And then I look up at her face and I realize like she's definitely like just trying to hide that she was crying because her eyes were all red and you can notice, you know, when somebody looks like they were crying. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm like, you know what? Never mind. I'm like, what what's going on? Like, are you OK? Do you need help? Um, I think she was just having like a mental breakdown. Mm. <laughs> And it just sucks because her kids were just standing there and you just see it on their face, like what's happening to my mom. Like, I don't, it wasn't a normal thing, you know? Um, So I told the lady, I was like, look, if you need me to like watch your kids, like here's the picture, you know, I had like a little picture of my family, like (laughs) with my campaign stuff. I was like, I have kids too. Like, I swear I'm not a creeper. Um, I'm like, if you want to just go to the corner and I'll stay within eyesight and you can just like punch whatever, you know, like get whatever you need to get out, out. Um, you know, I'll play Barbies or whatever with your kids for, you know, however long you need. Um, but she, I guess, had some friends coming. So I told her I was going to stay in the neighborhood and just, like, keep an eye on her. And I would, like, stay there until, like, her friend came. Um, so I circled back. And then her friend came. I tried knocking on the neighbor's door to see if they could, like, keep an eye on her, you know. Um, but neighbors suck, too, apparently. But she had some good friends who brought Dunkin' Donuts coffees, so... Hopefully she's all right, but it just, it sucks like seeing what's happening and there's no one out there to represent these people, you know, um, you're just seeing like a lot of, you know, your mainstream BS that's on the, on the news and it's not showing you real life at all. Um, so it just kind of, it's like depressing, but it makes me want to fight harder because I am one of those people, you know, I'm just a normal person who just wants to represent normal people. Um, I don't think you need to have all this uh, experience in political garbage. You don't need to know how to lobby. You don't need to be a lawyer. You just need to represent what the right thing to do for the people is. Mm. Um, I think there just needs to be more of that, period. Whether it's me or somebody else, I don't care, but um, the majority of people aren't being spoken for. How would you describe, because you said, keep saying like the average Connecticut resident, like the normal person, how do you describe and represent that person? And how, obviously you build connections um, with the lady and like having that empathy is so huge for other people, Uh, but especially in COVID and social distancing, are people scared to interact and connect and, and what kinds of things are, what else are you doing to build those, those relationships? Um... Well, nobody wants to do anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I had a campaign party, but like not that many people showed up because, you know, everybody's a little weary. Um, I don't really know how to campaign, to be honest with you, in these times. Um, a lot of it's like internet, but people just are so busy scrolling through things that it's hard to connect to people. Um, as far as like what an average person is, I think it's just somebody who understands like the the challenges of life like right now Connecticut has a governor that's never really had to feel a financial hardship so if he was told that his job wasn't going to pay him for three months he wouldn't understand what that what that means 
Um, whereas like there could be, you know, take for an example, a single mom, you know, uh, maybe the dad is in Iraq or something. She's left, she had a job, she had a daycare. And now all of a sudden for like three months, while she's not allowed to do her, you know, hairdressing job or whatever, she has no money, you know, there's no help. Uh, maybe her family's not here. Like he doesn't understand what putting her out of a job and putting her out of a daycare and help means. Um, I kind of do. I haven't been in that specific situation, but um, I feel like I would connect to that situation more than somebody who's just been given money and has just had like a political run most of his life. Um, so I think just like having an everyday job, like I'm, I'm just a tattooer, you know? Um, I think the fact that I get to talk to a lot of my clients for hours on end, I end up finding out, you know, what people are struggling with, what, um, what's actually happening, how people are really feeling. Um, I do definitely get like a certain type of clientele, but within the whole shop, there's, you know, different people walking in here. Um, but I just, I don't know. I feel like I, would have a good connection to people. I, I feel like I can talk to most people, you know, um, I don't look like your average politician at all. <laughs> um, which I think has actually been helping me more than hurting me. I wasn't sure where that was going to go. Um, little old lady, like ladies love me. <laughs> I don't know why, but, um, I thought they were going to be the hardest win, but, um, the older people, I don't know, seem to, to gravitate towards like a, a change. I think they're sick of this shit more than anybody else's, um, which I find entertaining, but I don't know. I just, I think there just needs to be a, you know, quote unquote average, whatever that means. I think just somebody that works and has a good work ethic and that can relate to like an everyday struggle versus, you know, you've just been handed money your whole life and you don't know what working for money means. <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty powerful like somebody actually has to live and really budget and and know where their money comes from versus those who don't have to think about that gosh wouldn't that be nice for once um if you're elected what is one thing that you would like to change for your constituents everything <laughs> <laughs> um i i just want like actual representation i and i know that means like so many things um but like I've been telling everybody, you know, they're asking me like what my platform is and where I stand on certain things. And I'm just like, there are so many of those certain things that need to change. Um, I'm not trying to say that I'm going to like take the whole system and like set it on fire, but I think it definitely just needs to be um, more relatable. Like there are rules that are being made that don't make any sense. You know, um, it just needs to just be more relatable I don't know what a good word is um there's so many like things that are happening like right now we had a special session where like nobody was even really able to put in input on any of the bills that were passing uh it was just pretty much just legislation doing whatever they wanted um that needs to stop there needs to be more of like information passed between people who are making the rules for everybody and everybody who has to follow those mm, rules. I agree. Um, and I think if there's like a special subject that, you know, is going up, um, that special subject needs to have like professionals from within that special subject that are helping write those rules. So take my tattoo stuff, for instance, you know, like it was made without any tattooers insight. 
Um, so it was made very poorly. So you have that going on in so many other subjects and so many other things. Um, there's like homeschooling that's getting hit on. There's like vaccines that are being made mandatory. There's, uh, there's like everything, you know, there's like where our tax dollars go. And it's just, you know, if people don't know what's going on and they're not connected to what's happening, granted, a lot of people don't want to be, but there are a lot of people that would like to, and that they should be heard, you know? Like you can't write tattoo laws without talking to a tattooer, period. That doesn't even make any sense. I don't think hmm. legislators would like to have their jobs depicted by a tattooer, <laughs> you know, like hmm. I'm going to make the legislators jobs, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, does it? But, you know, they don't see it the other way. So, um, I don't know. I just want to bring back reality. Like what, what's so hard about like figuring shit out the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Why it's gotta be so, so it seems like you want everybody to have a voice and, a, and an actual voice in, in what happens in, in their world. And I know there's plenty of people in all those subjects, you know, like whatever it may be that, you know, have been trying to voice their opinions, um, but just haven't, you know. And I, I, I probably like every day that I went out and knocked on the door, I talked for somebody or with somebody for probably like a good 30 to 40 minutes about like a specific topic that they were interested in and they've gotten nowhere. So, um, I just want to be like that portal, I guess, like here's a, a constituent and here's the law. And I would be somewhere in between trying to, you know, voice the opinions, you know? Um, and I just, I, when I have to like do research, I go down the rabbit hole on like all spectrums. So like, um, I met a lady that was into homeschooling and she was wondering what I felt about homeschooling. And I was like, well, at this point in time, I only know what they're making me do with my kids. Um, so that's not real homeschooling, but you know, if I was going to win and I was going to represent her, I would find out from her what her homeschooling, um, ideals would be. And then, you know, maybe like a school teacher, how they feel about homeschooling and then, you know, maybe a psychiatrist or something and maybe, you know, like get it from like different angles and ask multiple people in each angle to get like a real feel on what should happen. Um, and then go from there and make it realistic, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, it's just a crazy world that we live in. And I don't know why people like all these rules that don't make sense because hmm. I don't. I love the, the aspect of situational awareness and external awareness because that's a big aspect in leadership that many people just totally overlook. And here you are coming in and, and noticing that that not all voices and, and people are heard and it's not an inclusive environment. So, um, yeah, I can you run for president? Because that would be awesome. All right, all right James. James. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, I was just curious to um, hear your take on your feelings towards the two-party system, the, the Republicans versus the Democrats all the time. And uh, what is the name of your party? Um, so my party's name is called the Reclaim Party. Um, I'm going to reclaim some reality. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the two-party system, I just, I'm sick of it. It's just like a tug of war that never ends. Mm. Um, 
it's Republicans want this and Democrats want that. And they're like talking shit about each other. And like, you don't know which side to go anymore because they're both awful. <laughs> you know, um, you could have a good politician that's running as a Republican or a Democrat. And maybe they're like one out of a hundred that are like actually worthy of being cool enough to vote for. But most of the time it's like, you just hear people saying, well, I'm just going to vote for the lesser of the evils. Hmm. Well, why the fuck would you do that when there could be a really cool third party that could do what you want, but instead people waste their vote and they vote Republican or Democrat. Hmm. And I hear all the time people are like, oh, don't run third party. You're just going to waste your time. I'm like, well, why the fuck is everybody thinking like this? Like, right. Right. there are more options on the ballot. Like, stop just going like mainstream and picking like one evil versus the other evil you know you're never going to get what you want and if you're just going to keep voting like that then keep complaining because you're not fixing it you know um whereas me i am sick of complaining and i want to try to fix it so um but i know that it's a huge thing to change um as far as mindsets of people because they just think a third party won't win but if everybody who thought a third party wouldn't win but they would vote for one if they just voted for a third party a third party would win <laughs> um so it's just you know it's just it just doesn't make any sense anymore i don't understand people's mindsets um when there's like clearly another avenue to take but everybody just stays on the highway you know like what if the back roads are that much more beautiful and more scenic hmm. you know i love your willingness to fight the status quo i i totally support you in this endeavor it's awesome thanks I probably won't win, but you know, at least I can, you know, I just keep telling people, I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to win, but you know, I'll be realistic, you know? Um, but even if I spark interest on somebody else that might run later on and right. like, right. you know, they spark somebody else's interest and so on and so on. Like you don't have to be some big wig to run for office. You know, uh, I figured out how to do it, hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted to get your take on, um, how running for office is taking you out of your comfort zone as a tattoo artist, as a business owner? Is this an uncomfortable process for you? For you, everything I do is always uncomfortable. I like to tell people all the time I like to make myself uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, and then I heard a really good quote. Um, if I can remember how it goes, it said, um, "What is it? It's like if you're." If your dream isn't making you uncomfortable, it's not big enough or something right. like I that. Love that. Something I love along that. those lines. I can't think of the actual quote, but that's it. Um, that's it. Yeah. And I was just like, that really resonates with me because I love pushing myself to feeling like I'm and I usually break down. I usually lose my shit. Hmm. And then <laughs> my boyfriend just says that he waits for it every time because like every time I lose my shit and I just go crazy, it's when like I have to change something. So like if something's making me feel like off and super uncomfortable, I just have to figure out what it is and I like tweak it and I like regrow it. So he like calls me like a phoenix. <laughs> so like I have to set myself on fire in order to like figure out where I'm supposed to grow from. Um, that's that's so, great. That's great. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. He just like every time I like lose my shit, he's like, yes, I was waiting for this <laughs> in like two days. You're going to come back like fighting. And I'm just like, OK, I'm like, well, I feel like shit right now. But <laughs> but it is good to know that like I usually can pull myself up and like, you know, I figure out, you know, what I got to do next, you know. Um, 
So I don't know. I guess I have that going for me, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't lose that fire. I, I love it. That's very inspirational. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? In France. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. 10 years. Um, I don't even, I didn't even see myself here when it was January. So um, I don't know anymore. It's a different world. I hope in 10 years we're not living in pods mm. and like eating microchips for breakfast. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going weird. Um, I just, I don't know. I want to, I want to just be able to give back. I um, like, I love tattooing, but I don't, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something more. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I, I would probably still tattoo, but I feel like I have more anger inside of me that I need to get out. <laughs> so I'm running for Senator, <laughs> um, and so on and so on. Um, I want to learn like more, um, just like more about plants and like medicinal stuff with plants. Um, I've been getting into um, just like healing stuff. Um, so maybe I'd be going down that route. Uh, about to make a greenhouse out of a spare room in my house because my kids aren't playing in the quote unquote playroom. So their time's up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I won that over by telling my daughter that we could have like um, garden tomatoes in January when it's snowing outside. And she was like, hell yeah, let's make a, let's make an inside greenhouse. So I don't know in 10 years, hopefully I'm more relaxed and not full of so much anger. Cause I've gotten it out somewhere mm. like productively, hopefully. So I don't know. 10 years is a long time. And incidentally, I've been looking at for the past couple months, different um, classes on herbology and like, cause I want to grow herbs and make teas. So we should definitely like partner together and figure out what we can do. Um, but yeah, I had my daughter and I just kind of went crunchy, I guess is what I tell everybody. <laughs> um, I realized just how bad they're like the kid stuff on the market is. Um, and I just went down that rabbit hole for way too long. <laughs> so I just, I, I like knowing where my products come from, especially if you're using them on important things, such as, you know, for my career, a tattoo, like I want to make sure someone's going to be able to take care of it the right way. So, um, I know what's in it. Um, I like soak some herbs in there and, you know, um, but it's just kind of neat because those things have been around forever. Like there's things that people call weeds in your backyard and they can cure cancer, you know, yeah. <laughs> or they can at least help, you know? So I, I just kind of want to get maybe more back to the roots. Mm. So, to speak. so to speak. Yeah. I mean, we're so stuck in like technology and phones and social media and it drives me nuts. So I'll go in the back and just, you know, dig a koi fish pond and plant some plants around it, you know, and if my fingernails are dirty, that means I've been, you know, having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, one final question for you, Kelly, um, what you're writing your obituary and where, what kind of impact do you want your, to make on the world once you're gone to be known for once you're gone? Uh, that I tried really fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, hopefully I do something cool, but you know, I am just one person in this gigantic world, but, um, 
I don't know. I feel like as long as I tried and I didn't give up, um, that's got to say something, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That I tried really fucking hard. That sounds good. I should write that on my they scatter me. Yeah, I don't want to be buried, though. I'm, like, claustrophobic. That would freak me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be dead. Probably wouldn't care, but I don't know. Just put me under a tree. Like, shatter my, you know, make my ashes grow something cool. That's exactly what we want to do, too. (laughs) I don't need some fancy box. I don't need anything. Just, you know, grab whatever my hopeful remains are and throw me in a dirt pile and plant something cool on top. Excellent. Love it. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you, Kelly. Cindy has been talking about you ever since I've known her and how great you are at tattooing. And we really appreciate the artwork you did for our Ocean Rowing logo and all that good stuff. And I'm really excited to hear about the election coming up. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you.